Hello and welcome to the Right on Crime podcast series featuring experts from our Correctional Leadership Network. I'm your host, Scott Payton, former law enforcement, probation and parole officer, and correctional director at Right on Crime. The United States incarcerates more people than any other nation in the world. And for decades, Louisiana was notoriously known as the prison capital of the world, warehousing more prisoners per capita than any other state and even in many other nations. This year, Louisiana fell second to Mississippi after implementing groundbreaking criminal justice reforms in 2017. To give us some insight into what's changing in Louisiana, I'd like to welcome Louisiana Department of Corrections Secretary James LeBlanc. Thank you, Secretary LeBlanc, for joining us at Right on Crime. Let me briefly share some highlights from your decades-long career in corrections, and then we'll get started with our podcast. Secretary LeBlanc has over 40 years with the Louisiana Department of Public Safety and Corrections. He served in the U.S. Army in Vietnam. He has a Bachelor of Arts in Business Administration from Southeastern Louisiana University, and he has served under both the Jindal and the John Bell Edwards administrations. And, and one of the, the points I like, uh, Mr. Secretary, from your, your bio is that you stress the department's focus is on public safety, but you also mention your passion for, for reentry. And that's definitely a passion I share with you and a passion that I've seen um, a, as we've worked together um, while I was with probation and parole and certainly um, in, in my role with Right on Crime. Well, let, let's get right to it. Uh, let's talk about the challenges that we face here in Louisiana. Um, in 2017, Louisiana passed um, sweeping criminal justice reform. Um, the Department of Corrections was very active and involved in, in the passage of the Justice Reinvestment Initiative. Uh, what are your thoughts about the 2017 reforms? Uh, what's working? What's not? Uh, what can we do better? Well, first of all, thank you, Scott, and, and thank Right on Crime. And, and uh, I, I think Louisiana is fortunate to have a Louisiana person in your position. And I, I want to personally thank you for everything you've done in helping move this reform efforts forward, because you've been personally involved at the Capitol, seen you there many a times. And, and uh, even when we weren't in committee, you were in committee. And I, I just have to tell you personally how much I appreciate that and your professionalism, both uh, from from a criminal justice standpoint and a personal standpoint. I, I, I appreciate that. And uh, I guess we're a little unfortunate that we still don't have you in our department, but uh, I think you're probably doing a little bit more good out there doing what you're doing, and I appreciate that so much. Thank you. Um, yeah, so, yeah, we, we uh, you know, 2017 was a, a good year for us in the reform efforts, and, and I, I, of course, the, the governor and the legislature on both sides of the aisle were a very big part in, in us getting these reform efforts, and uh we had a lot of data, a lot of statistics, a lot of work went in the year before. Uh, I chaired that, that reform committee. Uh, we had legislators, judges. I don't think you were on that committee at the time, but uh, we, we, we did a lot in that year to get prepared for, for those 10 pieces of legislation that, that were presented. Um, you know, our focus uh, on, on, the, on that reform efforts was one, Getting the right, making sure the right people are in prison, you know, more serious violent offenders versus nonviolent with drug problems, trying to separate that group a little bit and, and let's get more towards treatment on that, that front end. 
versus dealing with people that that need to be dealt with uh, in the prison system. And, um, you know, just a, a real quick example is our, our percentage of population today is that we have reduced our, our nonviolent uh, offenders from 45 percent to 35 percent in our prison population. And our violent offender percentage has gone up from from somewhere around 50 to 65 percent. So that's an indication that 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 sort of that's working, um, you know. And, and of course, the second second thing is uh, is strengthening our community corrections. Uh, that that's so important, as you know. Our probation pro division is a key component of, of anything that we do in our reform efforts. And um, I, you know, the 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 you know, as warden, I, I spent a year as interim director uh, when my predecessor asked me to go in until we found somebody uh, that had the type of experience that we needed to move into that position. But I, I learned then that, that there was a big drop off from prison to our community corrections. And when I went back as warden uh, after that year, uh, Secretary Stahl and my predecessor asked me to, 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 um, to pilot reentry for our department. And I learned then uh, I, I began that process, and, and uh, I saw the results of that in, in, in developing that communications with probation and parole, getting that information that they needed to, to our parole agents so they could do the things that they needed to do in order to supervise. And, and from that, you know, I, I guess I brought that to this position, and, and uh, that, that, that in itself has, has been a big step in the right direction. I, you know, just... Give an example. Our, our, our probation pro population has gone from se- right at seventy-one thousand to 40, 45, 46,000. Caseloads are down from a, right at one hundred and fifty to eighty-nine. Um, so again, that that second bullet for our mission and goal in our reform efforts seems to be working in the right direction. Had a lot to do with less revocations. We earn compliance credits is making a difference where if you do the right things on probation and pro, you can get some time off uh, and get out a little early, you know, so that that's that's working. Third thing, you know, and, and uh, I think this is important is 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 the reinvestment side and, and, and dropping the barriers to reentry. Both of those, that's two things there that that work together um, because our reinvestment part and we, we somewhere around one hundred and fifteen million dollars that we have reinvested into our four major areas, which is is a um, DOC efforts, which is probation and pro our, our, our prisons, where uh, you know for our for our education, vocational programs, for our community corrections, for our grants that we now establish in that working relationship with our community partners, which is so important, and of course crime victims. I mean, you have to keep crime victims in the, in involved in this, and we've been able to reimburse the. The, the crime victims reparation fund working on three years backlog that, that, that we've been able to reimburse in that investment. And then the fourth, which came on the second year is office of juvenile justice. And I think anybody from Louisiana knows that the issues with, with our OJJ section right now and dealing with a lot of different, um, different areas there. And, and they were able to use, I think it's somewhere around five or 6 million that we've invested in OJJ for diversion programs. So, um, that part of it is, is working. I, I uh, you know, our reentry efforts, I can't say enough about that and the investments out of that in DOC, um, you know, expanding our education and vocational programs, doing the little things in probation and pro with uh, emergency transition housing, 
the little things with bus tokens, all those little things that make a difference, IDs, you know, social security cards, all the things that you have to have in order to get a job uh, on your way out. So, you know, our reform efforts are working. I think uh, the other thing I need to say is that uh, CJI is, is coming in to do a deep evaluation. And I would refer anybody listening to the podcast. We have two annual reports that have been done. Our third one on 21 will be coming out here in the next couple of weeks. But there's a lot of detailed information in those annual reports. And the other is in the next probably two or three weeks, we met with the governor's office this week. Our oversight council is going to, we're going to activate it again. Uh, so we'll be meeting in the next two or three weeks to begin that oversight review and, and sharing information with the council. So to help them understand where we are and, of course, get input back from them on things that they think maybe we could be doing something different or better or in addition to. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. I think that'll that'll be more public oriented, uh, where the public will, will get a better understanding and so how important that is, is the communication side of this. So I think we're doing pretty good. I, you know, I, I guess some of this will tell. We, you know, we'll, we have our internal audit that's going on right now with the funding side of things and, and justice reinvestment. And then we'll have a program audit by the legislative auditors that's coming in. In fact, I think we meet with them this week uh, to, to look at that. And we, we're real comfortable that we're doing a lot of good things and doing the right things with the funding that we've got and reinvested so far. So. Uh, we're excited about it and excited about where we are. So, sounds great. And, and you're correct. I, I was not in those initial uh, committee meetings um, for the 2017 reforms. I was actually uh, in, in the trenches um, in Villeplatte with the with probation and parole. So, um, so that was, okay. I, I got to feel it when when, when it happened. And, um, you know, you, you, you pointed out that you were, were director for probation and parole for a little over a year. I didn't realize that uh, until just, just recently reviewing your, your biography again, preparing for this podcast. And um, yeah, I, I think that's important because I know my my function as a probation and parole officer changed when, when I started working at Hunt um, to do uh, overtime to, to help out with, with the staff shortage and to allow visitation. And, and you know, I learned two critical things then is that the importance of visitation, um, there's nothing like seeing the smile on, on, on the men's face that, that are there incarcerated as they walk the big plate of food, um, you know, with grandma, with mom, with their children, um, and just the happiness that, that was in that room. Um, you know, everything else was left behind. And for, for that short period of time, um, you know, the, the, the guys that were incarcerated at Hunt uh, were, were able to enjoy themselves and, and to reunite with family members and um Really crushing to watch it end as well, uh, the tears and and just kind of that that letdown um, after seeing the family. But but I realized, you know, it's so important the role that probation and parole plays um, in preventing and keeping people from returning back to prison, or in the case of probation, going to prison. Um, so I, I think it, it has to be very valuable for you spending that time um, as director for probation and parole to understand and see the challenges that are faced as well. Um, there's a lot of barriers for probation and parole officers, and uh, you mentioned the 150 caseload. When I left four years ago, it was right about 145. So um, it, you just put out fires, and, and it's very difficult to um, – to, to do an effective 
job. Uh, so as we see those caseloads drop, uh, I think we're going to see much better um, results. And um, just from the, the fact that there's there's fewer people to work with, and those agents can concentrate on those that pose a greater risk to, to public safety. Uh, mo- moving into to the prison area, what about good good time credits? Um, ma- many you know say that, that good time credits are necessary tool for corrections. Um, what is your your opinion, your thoughts on on how good time credits help one? you know, the officers that, that are doing the work every day inside the prisons and, and those that are incarcerated to encourage them to participate in programming and, and, and just general improvement. Yeah, you know, uh, of course, in Louisiana, we have, we have two types of good time. We have the statutory good time, which is that you earn that uh, while you're in prison. Then we have program good time, which you can earn additional good time for participating in programs. And uh, the statutory good time is, 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 look, we need every tool in the box, you know, to use, to manage. And, and this is a big, big help for us uh, in managing the population because uh, if they don't do what they're supposed to be doing don't, and don't, don't uh, you know, just from a disciplinary standpoint, do the things that they're supposed to be doing, that good time can be taken away from them on the statutory side. Uh, so, so it's a tool and, and it, it's a very important tool to us. The, the, the program side is, is encouraging them to participate in programs. And, and uh, you know, some people might say, well, they ought to be doing it for the right reasons. They don't necessarily have to get time off. But it's a good encouragement, and we think it's working, and, and uh, it, it is helping. And some people don't earn the statutory. I want to point that out. Sex offenders, habitual offenders, second offender, violent offenders don't earn good time. So uh, they don't get any time off on, on their time, sir. Uh, and I want to point that out. Um, there's the other side of the coin a little bit, Scott, in that, in that what we, you know, what we looked at, just to give you an example, last year in 21, we, we discharged somewhere around 12 to 13,000 people out of our prison system. 8,000 of those people spent less than eight months with us. 8,000 spent less than eight months. So, that group is, is a group that I am focusing on right now. I don't have a lot of answers at this point. I'm working on answers because it, it, it drives me to another focus of a mission of ours is that that's a group probably, even though they might be a nonviolent group, but it's a group we probably need to be getting to that we probably are missing to some extent. Uh, we have reentry centers. I didn't mention that, but we now have established 10 reentry centers throughout our state to help with the local level. That's one of our big challenges is housing at the local level, you know? And, and so that, that's been, that's been a challenge of mine in that. So when, so when they, when they get sentenced, they get credit for time served and they earn good time for credit for time served. And then by the, by, by the time they spend any time with us, they're ready to go, you know? And so I'm working on that with Red Covington, our assistant secretary, and, and Thomas Bickham, my undersecretary, and how we can manage the funding and try to do a better job of, of maybe an additional per diem to work on getting some of our bigger local facilities more like a state prison. Uh, I, I'll put it very simply. Let's get them, let's move them up at another level where they can provide, because that's where a lot of them are discharging from that we aren't able to get to. So from a good time standpoint, that, that part of it might work a little bit against us, but Overall, we, we need good time. We have to have good time in our system to manage. It's real important, and, and it's a key 
for that that correctional officer working on the front line to help them. And and uh, you know we struggle right now with recruitment and retention, and 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 so that you know we need every uh, everything we can get to, to help those guys out uh, at the front line uh, of our prison system. That, that's a great point. And, and with COVID and with the backlogs in the court system, uh, we're, we're going to see a lot more people spending more time in parish jails pre-trial. And, and, you know, a lot of people do forget that, that you do get credit for time served. And then by the time they process and move through, uh, you're looking at someone that, that's ready to discharge uh, that may or may not have received any substantial programming um, or, or what you would have gotten if you would have made it to, say, Hunt or, or, or any other state facility. So um, looking forward to see how that works out. I mean, that is what we're looking at, Scott, on that is, too, is, is that maybe a few of these reentry centers could be reception centers where once they get sentenced, they get they got to go to that reception center, be evaluated and determined where they need to go to get some something before they discharge. So we're looking at a reception, more of a uh, more reception centers at the local level versus reentry centers. Uh, so that that's one of the ways that we're looking at. Again, this is early on, and, and uh, you know we don't have a lot of a lot of definite answers yet. But we're definitely looking at that and how we can get to that that group that's discharging quickly on us. I think I think another point too on. On those that are, are discharged on good time parole supervision, um, a lot of people don't realize that they're going to be they're going to be supervised through probation and parole until that end date. So if they were given four years sentence and 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 only spent a year or so in DOC, uh, they're going to be supervised for that remainder uh, by by a parole officer. Um, but it but it is important to get that that critical programming. Um, you know, no question. That, that's a great point, Scott. And, and uh, you know, discharging out of these local jails makes our PMP staff job so much more difficult. It, it does. And, and uh, we, hopefully, the, and I know they are, the reentry centers are, are easing that up to some extent to be able to get to the ones at the local level to help our PMP agents uh, get better prepared people when they get, get to them. So it, it is helping. Uh, it's not complete yet, but we'll, we'll get there. It, it's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint by, by any means. Absolutely. Uh, un- unfortunately, this situation didn't happen overnight, um, you know, and, and it's something that, that you've been dealing with over two administrations um, with, with trying to to move Louisiana forward. And, and it's not just getting rid of the prison population. It's preventing and reducing recidivism to make sure that that we control that front door um, and 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 who's coming in. Uh, as opposed to, to opening the back door and letting everyone out, because that's that's not what's happening. Um, no, and that no, was no. not the intent of the reform. So, um, in, in your experience, and you mentioned earlier, um, we have crossed paths um, th- throughout the years um, at, at the Capitol um, in committee hearings and as as critical legislation, um, good and bad, um, is introduced um, each year. In your experience, when, when lawmakers are discussing criminal justice policy, um, is the conversation properly informed by correctional expertise in comparison with the prosecutors, judges, and other stakeholders? Um, you know, almost every criminal justice bill that, that comes out, uh, we're going to get an opinion 
from the um, district attorneys association. Uh, sometimes the judges will will speak out. Uh, the sheriffs association, and, and then obviously the the advocates um, are, are are weighing in. Um, but what we've seen across the nation, and and saw last session a little bit, uh, and and you pointed that out, is is that DOC is not always there at the table um, during these discussions. Um, if you'd like to shed some light on that, um, especially, you know, more more particular, your office and, and your involvement in that legislative process. Yeah, that, uh, you know, first of all, I, I, we have a good working relationship with, with the, the committees, the, the, the Criminal Justice Committee, uh, judiciaries, you know, with, with uh, Senator Smith uh, and Senator Fall, both, are, I think, are, are good partners. Uh, on the criminal justice side, you know, we, we've had some success with, with the committee there. And I think Joe Marino will be a good chair of that as we move forward. I think he's a good, good kind of middle of the road guy and understands what we're trying to accomplish. Good communications, I think, is important. I, I'm always in touch by phone. Uh, if they call me, they need something or need information. Uh, it, it's, it's good communications. I think that's important. Uh, our, our, our budget committee is important to us. Senate finance is important to us uh, because of the pay raises, if nothing else, for our correctional officers and our probation and parole officers, which has happened. And that that is really helping us move things in the right direction with the recruitment and retention issues we're having on both sides, both probation and parole and, and our prison system. Um, but there's those that, that you know, that, 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 that try to, bring reform backwards. Uh, th- that worries me. Uh, that, that is one of our challenges in maintaining what we have and, and, and keep continue to move forward in, in our reform efforts. Uh, you know, some of them will take one incident and say, well, we let them all out. So that, that's what's going on. That is not what's going on in our communities right now. You know, you, you can pick up the paper any day. In fact, I, I picked up the paper today and, and uh, I saw where Two 17-year-olds were arrested for a murder at one of our Breck Parks here in Baton Rouge. The, the younger group right now, in my opinion, the younger group is, is those people haven't seen us. They haven't been to us. Those are the ones that, that we need to get to. I, I'm, you know, I'm working on that 18 to 24-year-old group to try to, what do we need to do with that group before they leave us? That's, a, that's another long story that we don't have the time to get into today. But I'm concentrating our efforts on that group here in Baton Rouge. We have we have a, a, a about four or five uh, officers that have caseloads of 20 to 25 of that age group that have gun charges and, and able to concentrate on what's going on with that group, what we can do to get you guys headed in the right direction. So uh, that that's important to note. Um, but we, we've had good relationships with them. Um, I think. You know, I want to say that I think we far enough along with reform that I, I think we can battle that. I think we have enough foundation, if you will, from what we've done in those areas we talked about in reinvestment that they can see that, hey, it, it is improvement. It is getting better. Don't try to blame what's going on in our communities right now. Another thing I would mention, look what happened after Katrina. Look what happened after the 2016 flood and the crime rates went up. That two years, two and a half years of COVID has a little, has to have a little bit to do with what's going on in our streets right now. I don't think there's any question about that. So 
don't let COVID, you know, be a be a reason why we we don't go forward with our reform efforts. So good communications with the legislature, keeping them informed. People like yourself, Scott, is helping do that. We just got to stay with it and, and continue to work on that. I think, you know, with the sheriffs, the judges and the DAs, Lauren is a, is a I think he's a great executive director, a man you can work with. Uh, we've been able to do that. I'm, I'm proud of that. Micronauts are the same way with the Sheriff's Association. We work closely with them. Judge, we have a judges liaison meeting on Friday of this week that we're going to be meeting with them. We do that every, I think, every six months. We meet with the judges, keep them informed, both on specialty courts, drug courts, reentry courts, things we do in there and how we can improve that, that relationship and getting the kind of information we need for time computation, that's a whole nother story. But, but we are we are working uh, heavily with with the legislature, working heavily with with the judges, the DAs, law enforcement, the sheriffs, uh, and and helping keep them informed. I wasn't able to get to the sheriffs association conference this year. I had too much going on. Seth went. We went through a lot with them. I had put together a PowerPoint to make that presentation. Something came up and I couldn't go. But keeping them informed, you know, letting them know what's going on. And, and uh, they, they, you know, that's a group that, that you have to work with pretty heavily to keep them headed in the right direction. But uh, I think it's working. So anyway, I, I think we have a good relationship with the legislature. We just, uh, uh, you know, we just have to continue to, to do what we're doing. I believe things are going in the right direction. And I think, I think most of them are pretty well informed uh, on our side of the fence anyway. And, and that's... Part of the reason why we started the, the Correctional Leadership Network here at Right on Crime is to to inform the, the public and stakeholders of what's going on inside the, the, the prison walls. I mean, you're going to have to deal or your department, you personally have to deal with anything that comes out of the Capitol, the good, the bad policy. You know, it, it, it comes to roost right there um, at the Department of Corrections and, and you have to be able to adapt and, and move forward. Um, a great example is the Safe Alternatives to Segregation Task Force started out as legislation, moved over to a to a commission study. Uh, you're hosting it, the, the meetings at DOC and I'm part of that task force. And, and I believe we're getting more done sitting with you for hours at a time, and, and we definitely appreciate your time. We're getting more done in the conference room at DOC headquarters than we could get done in the Capitol with with a law or passing legislation. And I think both sides have come to a realization of what, what goes on on each end. And um, we, we've had some great feedback and some great conversations. So, um, so the work continues outside the Capitol and, and continues every day, regardless of sessions going on. Uh, and, and definitely appreciate that cooperation because um, it's yes, everyone. It's um, I, I know the I DA. I really do. That, that's a good task force. And I appreciate you being on that because it is, it's a good, you know, we got the right people on that task force. Uh, actually some, some, uh, prior incarcerated people on that task force that have been through it. It's good to hear from them. Very, very, um, very, um, I guess, neutral on where they are. They're not, they, you know, it, it's, it's good information and we're learning from it. And we've already made some changes in our policies. We've made a lot of changes. That's a whole mental health. Again, another subject that we can right. talk about all day on mental health, but, but that, that's where a lot of our mental health issues end up is in our segregation areas which is a, is a big deal today. And we're learning a lot from you guys and, and, and meeting with y'all. 
and and vice versa. I'm sure you all are learning a lot from us on on the end of what goes on in, in the prison system. So uh, that's a great point. There's a lot going on outside the legislature that that uh, people don't realize. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, that's a good again a good point. We'll move the next to to something you you've spoken a lot about is culture change within the department. Um, I, I can share a quick story because the, the the players in this story have retired and and I'm not there either. But in in Bill Platt, in the conference room, uh, your picture and the governor's picture are, are hanging on the wall, and you can see it from the break break room and. Anytime something bad happened uh, within the department or, or people were upset with something, um, the district manager would look at the wall and say, blame the man on the left if it were you, blame the man on the right if it were something coming from the legislature being the, the, the governor. Um, you know, and I'm sure we weren't unique in Ville Platte with the kind of the, the line staff and headquarters um you know us versus them type of um f- philosophy going on um that's a hard thing to do we we can pass whatever laws uh change whatever policy on the, on the front end but to get it down to the men and women uh, and, and they're great people. Um, I, I'm in direct communication with, with many uh, on a regular basis. They want to do what's right. They're not in this job to make a lot of money, uh, but they can definitely make a big difference. Um, how, as, as secretary, how are you able to to help influence and change that culture so that they share your passion for reentry and, and, and share your vision, um, which is public safety, through rehabilitation through programming uh through through helping these individuals as, as they navigate you know the the rest of their lives and, and trajectory to, to change uh what what has happened in the past you know culture change again it is uh it, it takes time um it, it's something that uh again like i said earlier is it, it's a marathon and in, in, in the way you do things um i you know i I came, you know, I worked my way up through this department, so I've come through the trenches to get to get where I am today. So I, I've been been through it, and I know how important, and what you reflected, how important our, our line staff or our front front guys, because without them, there's no program, there's no rehabilitation, there's nothing can happen, and and so the old paramilitary style, if you will, of correctional officer and and, you know, rank and all that, 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 you know, in my generation and probably the generation right behind me, it, 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 it might've worked then. And, and it probably did. And maybe that's what they needed, but this new generation is, is totally different. And, and, uh, giving people access to the department in a way it's managed. And, and I think that's important and, and, and having input, for example, I have an employee advisory group that I meet with, uh, you know, every six months, I listen to the front line. I, 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 it's mandated by policy that each warden has an advisory group. Each district manager has an advisory group to meet with their line staff, to listen to what they have to say and bring that forward up to, to the, to the uh, leadership meetings, to our management team meetings, again, giving input to the guys and making sure they know that they they have a they have a, a say so in the way this department has managed. Have we had a lot of people retire from some of this? Yes, we have, uh, and, and probably that was the right thing to do, and that's okay, and I understand that. But 
I have a I have a great leadership team that that's working hard, that's passionate. It's like you said, it's not about the money. If it was, we wouldn't be here, uh, you know. And so we have a lot of passionate people in this department that want to do the right thing. And you know, it's like, and I haven't talked to this probation pro class yet. I'm getting ready to do that. I, hopefully, I'll do that this week. The academy here. It's the first time they've had one in a while with with COVID. But I look forward to just saying, you know, welcome to the department and helping them understand what we're trying to do, the cultural shift, why we're doing what we're doing. So helping people understand. We developed the, the diversity, equity, and inclusion section of our department that we have now that we didn't have just a year ago, uh, which actually moved training under that. Uh, so we reestablished nine trainers throughout the department for the prison side. PNP side, as you know, has a good training division, doing the right. You guys have, I mean, that, that, that's a good division. They, they don't really need tinkering with training-wise, other than a little bit on the reentry side and all that kind of stuff, which has been implemented in their, in their curriculum, which is good. And I'll talk about that when I talk to the, to the guys in the academy. But, but, but all that being said is we, we started at the top with me. I started with me on the training Everybody on my leadership team, all the wardens, all the, the regional managers in probation and pro work together for a week of training. And that's the way we started this. We're going to start at the top, training everything you need to know about corrections and probation and pro and why we're doing what we're doing to keep things simple uh, and, and helping people understand why we're doing what we're doing. And that trickles down. The next group was the, the supervisors. At, at the at the local level, at, at our prison system and probation and pro. They're doing that right now as we speak. That's, they're going through that process of training the supervisors to help them understand. And then that goes down. Then after that, the front line will be trained. So I think training is a key to this. In, in, in any part of cultural change, people need to understand what you're doing. It's probably taking a little bit longer than I like on the training side, but covid kind of set us back a little bit on being able to get out there. Um, I think it's working. I, we get input from some of the facilities, the prison facilities, where you do have that that that, that reluctance to, to move in, in that direction, and, and, and we understand that. And, and so we're we working on that and how we can, can change that mindset because a lot of our officers, especially, again, I'm, I'm speaking more on the prison side, is that, a lot of our officers promote up and end up not really having a lot of training on how to supervise and do the things you need to do. The soft skills part of this and treating people like maybe they treated the, the offender population while they were there. So, uh, you know, that that makes a big difference. I'm, I'm probably scouring things out a little bit here, but um, that that in itself, I think, is a key component of a cultural sh- shift. Um, and you, you can't. You know, the, the DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, has a lot more than, you know, the, the racial issues, all the things that, that go on in a department that you have to be conscious of uh, and in our leadership group, you know, and, and making sure they understand that and, and get more diversity involved in, in our department is important. And, and we understand that and we are doing that. We're working on that. Um, you know, we have, unfortunately, 70, 75, 78% of our our prison population is is African American, and and we need to understand that, and and I and I certainly understand that, uh, and, and I'm working heavily on on trying to improve 
what we have in the management side of things. And we have a good, again, I, I can't say that enough about the management group in our department. They, they are, they are passionate about what we're doing. They believe in, in rehabilitation, but at the same time, we know how important public safety is. We believe what we're doing is improving public safety. I don't think there's any question about that, Scott, at all. And I think, uh, Mr. Secretary, that's where, when there are differences at the Capitol, I, I believe all of the advocates that, that come forward, the DAs, the judges, the sheriffs, they, they all want public safety. We, we all want to, to be able to, to go to the store at night, and, and not be afraid. Um, we, we want our crime rates lower. Um, and, and I think it's it's all about showing um, people that this is another tool. Um, of, of course, uh, incarceration in, 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 in some cases is definitely necessary. Um, there are people that belong there in prison, um, and, and there's many people that don't, um, and there's many people that we need to work with so that they don't come back. Uh, but it all... You know, when we look at it through the lens of public safety, um, you know, I, I think we all want that want that goal. And getting back to, yeah. to training, it is so the the probation and parole position is so so unique, uh, and and there's so much going on. Uh, I, I know as an officer, the majority of the training I received was to to keep the post certification, to keep the law enforcement side. So it it's already a, a difficult job where you feel like you're more on the law enforcement side. Um, yeah, and you have to be. I mean, you have to balance public safety. You're dealing with people that are convicted felons. There, there is a inherent risk for probation and parole officers and with the communities that they're, they're walking into, um, that they always have, have that opportunity or that chance um, that, that they'll need to be in that, that strictly law enforcement role. But it does create, and, and it took me five years to understand that role. It wasn't until I went to hunt that, that I really realized that, you know, there are a few instances where I, I really need to be that law enforcement officer, but I also have to be able to balance that and, and work on identifying and helping people move through the, this process of reentry. Uh, now, I can tell you a lot's changed in five years since I've been gone. Uh, I would have loved to have worked with the cooperation, with the collaborations, with, with Goodwill Industries, with all the different nonprofits that are that are doing the things that took up my time that they're better that they would have been better suited to do um, as far as employee preparation those kind of things um, you know I, I could do a little bit of everything but but they can do it much better uh, for those that are low risk um, let the probation and parole officers handle the law enforcement side handle the, the violations handle those type of things and supervise those that are high risk. Uh, so I, I, I love that focus. Um, it's great seeing those caseloads go down. It's great seeing the level of cooperation with DOC and other partners that that can help contribute um, to the mission. We have just a few moments left. I, I'd like to end with with your optimism for the future of uh, the Louisiana Department of Corrections and 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 where you see it going. Um, I'm sure you'll be there another 15, 20 years, but um, <laughs> what, what, what does the future look like and, um, and how can we help, uh, help, help keep the optimism going? Well, you know, I, obviously I, I wouldn't be sitting here if I wasn't optimistic about where we're going. I, I, uh, I, I think one of the things is, as we have already talked a little bit about is, is, is that I'm optimistic that we have a good foundation in this in, in what's going on in our criminal justice system and we have enough support from different entities to keep this moving in the right direction will we have a setback or two maybe 
But but I, I think that setback's not going to be enough to overcome the movement forward and what we're doing. Um, you know, it's still early. I, you know, I, I think as we talked about at the beginning of this, I think the stats are really showing our annual reports. I look forward to the oversight uh, review and council to working with them and having that activity kind of moving in the right direction. I think that's important. Um, you know, the relationship between our probation and pro division, our community corrections, I say community, community organizations out there. You just mentioned the Goodwills Pro Project. I know you were at that event. That, that was so inspiring. I mean, that, that's the kind of things that keep me going and the things that they're doing with that group is just absolutely amazing. But those relationships, but in particular, as we talked about our prison to community corrections and, and the relationship that we have on both sides of that now is, is, is to me, is optimistic. Corrections Leaders Association that I'm a member of nationally. And I would mention that, you know, this is a national movement. This, as you know, and you listen to other directors and you're involved enough nationally to understand that this is not just about Louisiana. This is about moving corrections reform in a different direction in our prison system in particular and in our community corrections. So I'm on, on a reentry committee on that and I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we had our first meeting here in the last three weeks, but part of that is, is is what you're doing, Scott, is getting the word out there, getting maybe a scorecard on reentry, the things that need to be done, a playbook, establishing what's best practices, and 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 continuing to move forward in that direction. Of course, um, we have Louisiana Corrections Association. I, I don't know if you're attending our conference. I hope you are. Uh, that that is to me is. It's something to look forward to. That's a good group that's doing some really good things. And and, and the training part of that is, is all important. Um, and again, I, you know, uh, as I said earlier, I, I think we all understand, and this is not really an optimistic part of this, but we know we need prisons uh, and, and we will always need prisons. And, and we understand that. We're not trying to change that at all. We, we, we think we're, if we don't do, make a change in our prison system, we, you know, the, the, the crime rates and all that would be a hell of a lot worse than they are today if if we didn't do what we were doing. So um, I'm looking forward to it. I, I don't know about 10 or 15 years, Scott, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm going to be around as long, you know, as long as my health's OK and I'm doing OK. I love I love what I do. I'm very passionate about what I do. And more importantly, I love the people that I work around. And it's, you know, to be able to help people get back on their feet and, and make 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 a life for themselves. And you make it a good point at the visiting part of this. The families, the reunification. One of the things, just, and this is a quick note, that, for example, I was making rounds at Hunt last week and, and a guy came up to me. He said, Secretary LeBlanc, let me, let me ask you something. This was a, 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 an inmate. He said, you know, we have they have tablets now and, and uh, which is good. And, and we have a few issues there, but it, it's a good thing because they they can do a lot of things on a tablet. Plus, use the phone. He said, look, he said, I, I belong to a religious organization out on the street. And on Sundays, I call in and they let me be a part of that on my tablet. He said, but every 15 minutes, I got to hang up and call back. <laughs> I said, what? He said, yeah. So they, so what, what that was, we had wall phones. 
You know, where you had to get off in 15 minutes so somebody else could use the wall phone. I might be getting out of hand. But uh, real quickly, I got back here and I made a change that they can. I mean, you know, they're not tying up anybody. Why not let them talk to their family, their kids longer than 15 minutes? You know, those little things that, that, that make a big difference to them and that parenting that, you know, all that's so important because, you know, poverty and education. And we didn't talk about that a lot, but it's a big challenge for this state. Uh, is a driver if they get to that middle school level and and they they don't have the the the, the mentorship that they need they're gonna get mentors they don't need and that's right. that's what's happening out there right now and and you know we have got to to narrow in on that on the front end before they get to us and again we're working with OJJ to do that um, so I'm optimistic I really am and I'll, I'll continue to be and I, I think we'll see continued improvement in what we're doing. And what what, uh, what what's happening in our communities uh, with the people that are working out there with these wraparound services and helping us move this forward is, is important. Well, I, I'm definitely excited where, where things are headed. And uh, and thank you again, Secretary LeBlanc, for joining us for, for the second installment of the Correctional Leadership Network at Right on Crime. Uh, for those listening today, follow the links to find out more about these issues and how conservative criminal justice reform can make a difference by visiting our website at rightoncrime.com. Mm-hmm.